We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're going to get into the team part of this show each and every week. Receiver board. Receiver board's going to be part two, yeah. Yeah, and and to start that off, we're going to talk about the wide receivers (laughs) in the board and what's left. We know there are a lot of offers that went out when new wide receiver coach Mike Brown arrived at Notre Dame. We saw what we thought, Brian, was immediate impact in the urgency with which the wide receivers played with in the Sun Bowl against Oregon State. So it gave us a feeling that, okay, they're they're lending their ears to what they're hearing from Mike Brown, and it's having an instant impact. And now we wait to see who becomes the domino or the next domino to fall in the wide receiver room, what's left on the board, what might Notre Dame be thinking as far as how they look at these guys and who might be a guy that they take right now or another guy that if he comes down the line they might be interested in taking, who might they be waiting on a little bit to see Let's get them on campus or let's see a little bit more film or let's see them in camps. All of these things are factors to see how the board is going to play out. And will they take four wide receivers in the class? Might they bump it up to five? Yeah. Because this might be a larger class. These are all the things we're about to talk about to start. Yep. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. It's going to be interesting, Sean, when you look at the receiver board. And and because for a while there, they were talking about just taking three. And I was a little nervous about that because they were going to take Jerome Bettis Jr. in the class. And I got a little nervous about that if you're only taking three. Plus, you look at the roster, you got to think about this. When this class shows up, Jaden Greathouse, Jordan Faison will be juniors. I mean, so that's kind of how, how fast this whole thing happens. I talk about that all the time. And, and so you are going to need some guys that can come in and kind of help you out in year one and year two, to a degree. Not necessarily year one per as much, but definitely by year two, because by year two, you may not have Jaden Greathouse anymore. If Jaden Greathouse is as good as you and I think that he is, and you may not have Jordan Faison or some of those other guys. And so, and and then also it's about complementing what is there before. And this is something that I think we need to focus more on of our conversations is it's not just about landing the three best guys that you like every year. It's also about, okay, but am I complementing my receiving core the way it needs to be? And Notre Dame went through a period like that where, you know, part of the reason I felt the receiving core was was so underutilized is because I thought they did a great job of of bringing in different types of players, but then they didn't use them the way they needed to. So when you look at like the 15 and 16 classes that Mike Denbrock put together, in the 15 class, you had Equinemi St. Brown, big, tall, long, vertical guy. Miles Boykin, big, tall, long, vertical guy. Jalen Guyton, Six foot, six one, route runner, not dynamic athlete, but just knew how to play, knew how to get open, knew how to make catches. He was Kyler Murray's top receiver in high school. And then you got CJ Sanders, short, shifty type of player. Then you look at the next year, you get Chase Claypool, big, tall, physical, freaky kid. Javon McKinley, six two, knows how to play the game, great ball skills. And then Kevin Sefferson, again, vertical, shifty. So you had a lot of different type of skill sets. And then there was a period of time where it felt like they weren't doing enough to kind of build the roster the right way. And, and so you're, you're seeing them get back to that a little bit more. And you look at what's left in the 2023 class. You've got Jaden Greathouse, who's 6'1". He'll be 2'10", 215 when it's all said and done. Just a playmaker. Just knows how to get open. Knows how to play the game. More of a slot field guy. You've got Jordan Faison from that class, who's a slot field guy as well. 5'10", shifty, good speed. Knows how to play. Tough kid. And you've got K.K. Smith, again, slot guy to field guy, shifty, smooth athlete, really good player, like him a lot. And so then you say, okay, well, you know, you, you don't have Braylon James, or you had Braylon James at the time, Rico Flores, but Rico was kind of a slot field guy too. Braylon was really the only true, no doubt about it, outside player. So then in 2024, what did Notre Dame focus on? We need to make sure we get some longer outside receivers. Cam Williams. Micah Gilbert, and then not give up on some of those other things. You see them get Logan Saldate. But before Logan, remember, they had Isaiah Canyon, who was another long outside guy. And so they started to kind of restock that. So they were still very much in a, just positionally, we had to recruit certain guys to fill out so we could have a guy that can play the boundary, a guy that can play the field, instead of having a bunch of guys that are slots that we're trying to develop into something else. And so they did that last year. Now it's more so about you have to make sure you're continuing to balance that, Sean. But now it seems the focus is more on traits and skill sets, more so than we need an X, we need a Z, we need a slot. It's more so we need this type of player. And so when you look at, for example, when we talk about Elijah Burris, what does he fill? He's an outside guy that could be also a pro-style slot but projects more as a, as a Z that is a route runner, you know, stretch the field. I think he stretches the field pretty well. Now I think he's faster than some people give him credit for. I, I do think he runs pretty well and he's going to get faster as he gets older. And he's now another, he's going to be another, think about this. He's going to be another year removed from the injury that cost him his entire sophomore season. Remember how much more athletic and explosive Kingston Villam also looked as a senior when he was a, now another full year removed, from the injury that cost him most of his sophomore season, right? And so that's something to think about as well. But, you know, he's kind of that outside guy. And then what else do you want in the class? They want a big guy that can stretch the field. There's two guys on the board for them right now that do that. Derek Meadows, Quincy Porter, very different players, but in certain ways, but that's what they are. There's those, those boundary 
6'4 to 6'6 type of guys. We'll talk about Derek Meadows more specifically in a little bit, Sean, because that's a guy the staff is on. Jerome Bettis Jr., another outside guy, a big physical kid, 6'3, over 200 pounds. You know, just a, more of a volume possession type of guy. Doesn't show the kind of speed or ability to separate to be that downfield guy right now. And then after that, it's like, okay, well, then what else do you want in the class? And I think what Notre Dame is going to look for as sort of that fourth option, Sean, is okay. They want to they want a really shifty, explosive, make plays with the ball in your hands guy, where that is his primary trait. And I think that's what the staff desires as the makeup of this class. But here's my question, and this is what's going to make it very interesting. I zero problem taking Elijah Burris. Love this pickup. I have no problem with Notre Dame taking Derek Meadows and it, because he's very raw as a receiver. Only had 15 catches as a junior. And like eight of those were touchdowns because they basically Bishop Gorman just threw him fade routes in the, in the red zone all day. And you're going to take potentially take Jerome Bettis. Now, it's not a given they're going to get Derek Meadows. I mean, Bama's offered recently. Florida's offered. George, I mean, everybody's offered him. It's not a given you're going to get him. But that's obviously their top boundary target. The question, though, is this class, it seems to me, Sean, and I'm curious if you feel the same way, that in a lot of instances, they're prioritizing potential and upside much more than they're prioritizing how good guys are right now. And that could end up being a really good thing, or it could be something that bites them in the butt a little bit. I don't know the answer to that, Sean, but that's the first thing that stands out to me when when I get beyond, I, I, I don't know if you agree with this is what the types they're looking for. But then also your thoughts on, you know, they just seem to be more content to fill up with kind of projectable guys. And even to a degree, Elijah Burris is a bit of a projectable guy just because he still has to get stronger and, you know, gain more experience. But it's going to be interesting to see how they fill this class out, Sean. Like, I, I, like waiting to get two of the top dudes that we like, I don't know that that's necessarily something that they're going to do in this class. And, and, and then next we'll debate whether or not they should. But just overall thoughts on that, Sean? It's a nuance, right? You know, I'll just use a basketball reference where you have a team like Denver that is not overly talented when it comes to stacking them up against other rosters. But when you talk about the talent that fits with their best player and his skill set, now they become a world championship team, right? Because you get a KCP, you get a Jamal Murray. That might not be a guy where you just clear out at the point guard, just let him do his thing. But you get him in a bunch of pins, pin downs, pick and pop, pick and roll action with Jokic pretty much facilitating the offense. Now you open up his game even more. So when you start talking about putting together a wide receiver room and you start adding gifts and talents, you're looking at it as a staff to say, yo, we have some really good pass catching tight ends. How do we unlock them? How do we allow them to unlock us? Because we want to run the ball. So we're looking for play action. What can we do off of that play action? Screen game. If everybody's in the box to stop the run, we're popping the ball outside. So we need guys that can run after the catch. This is how we elevate the passing game. This is what we, how do we elevate Notre Dame's passing game? The simple things. Just, yo, they got nine in here. The advantage is out there, right? It's the same thing. Read and react. That's what the Denver Nuggets do very well. They don't overwhelm you with talent. They know how to read and react and use what they have to defeat the way you're defending them. It's the same thing with putting together a wide receiver room. It's not like Ohio State. It's not like LSU, where they can just go overwhelm you recruiting-wise in a wide receiver room every year. Notre Dame is not going to be able to do that. They have to be smart going out to build a wide receiver room that can be just as effective, make big plays, and be able to play off of what you have in the tight end room and the run game and an offensive line, which is what Marcus Freeman wants to do. We talked about LSU. You would think the way they threw the ball around, the yardage that Jaden Daniels put up, you would think, my God, they had to run the ball maybe, what, 43 44% of the time? No. You know, even if you add in Jaden Daniels' runs, they ran the ball like 48 49% of the time. Right. So that gives you an inkling of Mike Denbrock being able to have balance within the offense and then play off of all the talents he has within that offense to magnify and be efficient in the run game. And if I'm not mistaken, Logan Diggs 
he led the nation in yards per rush, if I'm not mistaken, at like 6.2 or something like that. If uh, I'm not mistaken, not the nation, because yeah, SEC, yeah, because yeah. uh, Audric had more than that. But yeah, I think I'm pretty. I, I think you could be right, Sean. I'll go look at this. As far as like eligible guys are eligible of running backs, Jalen yeah. Dan, Jaden Daniels, I think, led the league in rushing yards per attempt. But I'm talking about yeah, running backs, yeah, back. running backs, yeah, I believe. But that that just that. shows you you build a room around what you have. They identify, okay, this is our board. When these kids get here, who are the rest of the guys that are going to be here? Who do we estimate is going to be the anchor in the wide receiver room that we're going to build everything around? Mm-hmm. Okay, it's going to be this guy. This is his skill set. This is where he's going to be. He's going to be a boundary guy. He's going to be a – okay, so off of that, we know these are the skill sets we need to get in this particular class and that particular class to be able to function within everything that we're trying to do. Like you said, Ohio State, perfect example. They went out and got, what, three of the top six wide receivers last year? Right. And they had a problem developing them, and they had the same problem Notre Dame had. Dude, all these guys are pretty much the same. Right. (laughs) Same thing. Go ahead. No. LSU led the league in rushing 6.2. Yards per yeah. carry. Not okay. Logan wasn't at six point two, but but they led the league in six point two. That's that's where the six point two came from. Uh, Sean, when, when, to your point, like you you said something interesting at the beginning, and and, and I want to I want to nuance it a bit and see if you agree with me on this. Where I think that you're somewhat uh, where you're you're on point is Notre Dame's not going to go out there and do on the recruiting trail very often what Ohio State does regularly which is not regular, I mean, somewhat regularly, which is put together the Cardinal Tate, Brandon Ennis, Noah Rogers, all top 50 to 60 guys in the country, receivers. I just don't know that that's going to be in the cards. What Notre Dame needs to do, but that doesn't mean that they can't have an elite receiving core on the field. What Notre Dame has to always do when it comes to receiver play, because again, there's a lot of things going against them. They're never going to throw the ball as much as other programs. They're never going to throw the ball as much as Lincoln Riley's offense. They're they're, they're just not. They're not going to throw the ball as much as, as certain other other teams. Or, you know, when Josh Heupel has his offense going, their name's never going to put up the passing yards that Tennessee's going to put up. There's not. That's not what they're trying to do. But so they're also a lot of the best receivers are where they're, they're far away. They're in Texas, California, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana. So when you do get northern guys like a Chase Claypool, like a Michael Floyd, like an Elijah Burris. You've got to land those guys. But what you have to do is you have to be good evaluators. And this is what I think a lot of people don't understand is, is that Notre Dame has to be – they're not going to, well, Ohio State does this. Okay, so what? Ohio State's offense are, you know, still ended the season the same place Notre Dame did, sitting at home, watching the national championship game on television. Right. And to your point, part of the reason that they struggled against Notre Dame throwing the football in most instances, because as you said, they have all the same guy and Notre Dame can pretty much cover that kind of guy. They didn't have that guy that could do things a little bit differently. But to me, Notre Dame can put together a top five of receiving court if you have good evaluators. And that's been lacking. And I'm seeing a lot of people saying, well, you know, Notre Dame hasn't had success recruiting three stars and developing this. I'm like, you you can't keep saying Notre Dame and act as if it's like the, the school is developing the players or the same coach that had those issues is the same guy here, right? You can only evaluate my – you can't look and say, well, Notre Dame's going to be this because that's what they were last year because they don't have the same receivers coach or the same offensive coordinator. Now, we that doesn't mean we know what they're going to do. My point, however, is Mike Denbrock showed a track record of identifying – high upside guys that weren't ranked real high. Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, Kevin Stefferson. He was on all those guys before they blew up and became highly ranked. And some of them never blew up and became highly ranked. Corey Robinson, Will Fuller. I mean, Will Fuller was a three-star recruit. Rivals is the only outlet that had him as a top 250 player. That's it. Everybody else had him ranked really low. As I said earlier, ESPN had him as the lowest ranked player in the class. They not only recruited him, they flipped him from Penn State. They thought so highly of him that they were going to try to get him from another school. And so the current coach, as the OC, has that track record because I don't think they're going to go out there and get Cardinal Tates and Brandon Ennis's and Jeremiah Smith's with any regularity. Occasionally they will. 
there's going to come along a Cam Williams, and when that kid is in your backyard, you have to get him. But you've got to you've got to be good evaluators because you've got to find the Elijah Burrises, the Kevin Steffersons, the Chase Claypools. Because again, Chase Claypool kind of emerged as a as a guy that was much higher ranked. He was I don't believe anyone had him as a top one hundred player, even though I think we would all agree that he developed into a top hundred caliber player certainly. But his highest ranking was rivals at one hundred nine. The ESPN had his number one fifty nine. Two four seven didn't even think he was good enough to be in their top two forty seven. They had him as the number 48 receiver in the country coming out of high school, right? But the talent was obvious. It was, he's raw. Can he play American football? We don't know the answer to that, right? But the talent was obvious. Kevin Stefferson, same thing. They could look past that he wasn't real tall. He wasn't real big. He wasn't highly ranked. He didn't have a ton of offers, but they said the film, Sean, was big time. That's what they saw. Jalen Guyton. You know, a lot of people didn't like, not, a lot of the big-time Texas schools didn't go after Jalen Guyton, even though he was Kyler Murray's top receiver. We well, didn't have great this. He doesn't have great that. So I actually think Mike Denbrock showed a track record of identifying really good football players. Some of them were ranked high. Equinemius was a relatively highly ranked player, right? there. Javon McKinley was a pretty highly ranked player. They went out and got some guys like that, but did a really nice job of finding those high upside guys that developed into studs. And if they had better coaching, the receiving core would have been a lot better. That's the whole point. Like we, we, If you had a better coach in 2017, when you're playing Georgia, it's not EQ, Cam Smith, Freddie Canteen, and Chris Fink you're trying to beat Georgia with. It's EQ, Chase Claypool, Miles Boykin, it's Javon McKinley. It's those guys that you would have been trying to beat Georgia with. But they didn't have their coaching because Denbrock was gone at that time and Dell Alexander was here. He wasn't good enough to develop him. He wasn't much of a recruiter or an evaluator. You look at that Chancey Stuckey. Did a nice job his first year. I thought the evaluations were good, although Tommy Reese had a big role in making Cam Williams a top target, if we're going to be honest about that. And and uh, and and other guys liked – I mean, Chad Bowden and some of the other coaches were pushing for the Micah Gilbert. Chad Bowden's the one that pushed for the Logan Saldate one more so than Chancey Stuckey, if we're going to be completely honest about that. But this coaching staff is better at evaluating that, in my opinion. Now – we have to be able to judge and evaluate, okay, is that the right makeup, though, with, with certain classes? And there's going to be years where they do get more highly ranked guys, like last year with Cam Williams and Micah Gilbert to a degree. But this year it looks like they're going to be content taking guys that maybe aren't as highly ranked, but they see high upside with Elijah Burris. Derek Meadows, to me, is this year's Chase Claypool. And just that really freaky athletic guy that doesn't know how to play football yet. You know, and you're you're banking on that we can teach him how to play football. We'll see if you can or not, right? But it took Chase a couple years. There aren't a lot of six foot five, two hundred fifteen pound kids that run four fours that can't really do a whole lot as a freshman like Chase could. Chase wasn't really to help ready to help you much as a freshman in 2016. He just wasn't. He knew how to play. And then over the next couple of years, learned more and more and more. That's Derek Meadows. So I'm okay taking a flyer on a guy like that as long as people understand who he is. He's not. Maybe he gets better as a senior, but he's not a guy that comes in right now and is Michael Floyd the minute he steps foot on campus. So the question is, is that the right strategy? And that that's, to me, something that is worth talking about. My my counter my counter arguments are this, Sean, and I'm curious which one you come down on. The, the argument for this strategy is you had a lot of high-floor guys in the last two classes, right? Jordan Faison already showed he's ready to play as a freshman. Jaden Greathouse showed he's ready to play as a freshman. K.K. Smith, you don't know yet, but they really liked what they saw from him. I heard a lot of people raving about what K.K. Smith did in bowl prep, which is the first time they saw him, really, since he got here. Just like, this kid's really good. And then, of course, Cam Smith and Micah Gilbert are super high-floor guys as well. Now, they have higher ceilings too, but you know what I mean, like high-floor guys. So you look at the last two years, and Logan Saldate is a kid that the staff likes a lot. You have six players on scholarship from your last two classes that are all ready to play, like, now. The, so so I think the staff strategy, and again, we can debate whether this is right or wrong, is because we feel good about where we are there and we've shown the ability to go out there and get portal kids like Chris Mitchell and Bo Collins and guys like that, we're willing to take some risks. I don't call them flyers because they're not fly. It, it's it's not taking a flyer on a guy who's 6'6 and runs a 4'5 and jumps 40 inches. It's not a flyer. It's not a flyer taking Plexico Burrs' kid who, who shows the athleticism. It's, there's some risk, though. Can Elijah develop the strength needed to be an every-down receiver? 
can Derek Meadows learn how to play football and not just be a freaky athlete and be a track guy trying to play football? I don't know. Is Jerome Bettis's DNA going to kick in and, and he kind of grows into his body and gets more coordinated and explosive and takes that next step like Bryce Young did? I don't know. But it seems to me that they're more willing to take some of those risks in this class, Sean. That's the positive. Now, the negative is if you if your success rate isn't as high, and when you do take more risks, this is the fair thing to say, you are going to have a higher bust rate when you take more flyers. If the kids in front of them don't pan out or have injuries or you lose them to the portal, now you're kind of back to where you were a couple years ago where you just weren't you didn't have a receiving core that was developed enough and ready to play. So that's the risk reward behind this strategy, Sean. And I'm I'm not sure right now quite how I feel about it just yet, to be completely honest with you. Well, I'm settled in to take an approach of wait and see, but I'm leaning more to the side of, hmm, okay, I think I see where this is going. And I'll ask you a question. See, this I'm, I'm podcast PG for a reason. I'm, I'm setting you up right here, bro. Fair to say that Rico Flores was a four-star yeah. that most Notre Dame fans liked. Yeah, right. I did. Yeah, I had him as yeah. top 150 caliber yeah. player. Yeah. What was one of the biggest issues with the wide receiver room? No one could get off press coverage in yeah. big games, and no one could separate, right? No. right. Did Rico fall into that even though he was a four-star? He was He was the poster boy of that. Oh. In my opinion. Oh, did, was yeah. Rico like one of the biggest causes for interceptions? Oh, yeah. Like 50-50 balls, but everybody yeah. loved them, right? Everybody loved Rico. Right. Going into a big game where you know you're going to face defensive backs that are going to press you, who would who skill set would you rather have, Rico or Mr. Burris? Oh, man. that's a Here's why that's a tough one, Sean. Here's why that's a tough one. I would lean towards Elijah, but here's why I'm not as 100% sold on that. Because the one thing about Rico, why he was allowed to be savvy, as a, why he was able to be successful as a freshman, is Rico is strong. Yes. Like he was a strong kid to your point. And Rico's a very good route runner for his age. Now he, there's a lot of nuance he had to learn and that's what cost him the interception against pit. That safety's high. You've got to level it off. Sam mm-hmm. thought you're going to level it. You say you, you, you took off behind guy steps. In front. All right. Okay. I mean, we talked about the time you can't make that mistake, right? Like that's part of the learning process. Rico wasn't going to do that again. And, and so there were some mistakes like that, but Rico was at least, physically strong enough that you could go out there and and he could block you know he could kind of muscle his way open and against zone and things like that but to your point Rico really struggled against teams that played man coverage this year now with Elijah he's got the speed and route running ability the suddenness the he also he can match Rico for savviness Rico just had more experience and, and a lot more production way more production so I, you, you, you got to give him that absolutely this kid to me however, uh, Rico also played with the Division One quarterback, you know, the kid that's now at Alabama. Mm-hmm. And, and so, but that factors in as well. But is Elijah right now strong enough to win off the line? Right. Cause like I can beat you, but if I get it, if I get up, if I beat you at the line and I'm having, and Cam Hart's checking me, or if I'm getting checked by Denzel Burke or Kool Aid McKinstry or Terry and Arnold. Even if I beat you initially, if I'm not, if I don't have good play strength, you're going to knock me off course. And now we're back to where you are. It's just for a different reason. But if I had to bet on it, I would probably lean, I would lean towards Elijah, Sean, because I feel like mm-hmm. that's why I pay Lauren Landau all that money, because mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be a little easier for me to get Elijah stronger than it's going to be for me to make Rico faster is the way I kind of look at it. And, and that yeah. is my that is my point. Give me that because we're talking about this is what we're going to face in big games in championship college football playoff games. These are the defensive backs we're going to have to beat. Give me the decision between the two. It doesn't matter how slight of the margin. I'm going to lean towards Elijah's skill set. Because like you said, I'm going to assume that, yo, he's going to be able to get stronger. This is why Lauren Lando was brought in, right? I don't, how much faster can Rico get? How much more explosive can he get? Yeah. I'm not using Rico in the screen game like that. I'm, I can use this. I'm game. using Rico. Rico is on the field for me every time I'm running the screen. 
He's just my lead blocker. Exactly. Because he is and, – and that's not a disrespectful comment at all. That, that kid was a really good blocker for yeah. Notre Dame this year. Really good blocker. But to your point, I'm not throwing him the ball in that situation. Not mm-hmm. at all. Because he's also not an elusive guy. We saw this this year. He got stuck a couple times. He's not a make-you-miss kind of guy. He, Rico is one of those guys that's going to do great work before and up to the point, the catch point, right? As far right. as route running and body positioning. And and that's where Rico would have got even better and better and better as he got older, as he would have had some of the mistakes he made as a young guy, he would have learned from and been better at, at Notre Dame. There's no doubt. It, like, like I, I think, I think sometimes I get kind of, I think people take me, take a kind of a, a look at me and say, Hey, um, you're not high on Rico. And I'm like, no, I'm high on Rico, but I have a better understanding of who he is than I think a lot of Notre Dame fans do. Absolutely. A lot of Notre Dame fans look at Rico and like, oh, he was this dude and it was a big, it wasn't really lost. He caught that many balls because he got fed the ball more than anyone else at the receiving court by a lot. They kept throwing to him. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so to me, that was part of it, but it's more so just having a healthy understanding of who Rico was. And Rico was a kid that was eventually going to be a guy that was going to be great. He was going to be a volume guy. He's going to be great against his zone. You know, as he got a little bit better with some of his route technique as for the college level, he was going to get a little bit better at separation, but he always had a very low ceiling. The floor was really high. Rico wasn't going to get a whole lot better. We said this when he was in high school, he's going to be arguably the most ready to play as a freshman. But whereas I think Jaden Greathouse gets a lot better. I don't think Rico is going to get a whole lot better. And, and so to me, like, but he was a up before and up to the Kench point guy. What I think guys like Cam Williams bring to the table, what Elijah Burris brings to the table, what Taylor Taylor brings to the table, who's a yeah. top target is they are guys that can do damage before and up to the catch point, but they're guys that can also do things after Afterwards. the catch. Yes. And that's what they haven't had a lot of. And I actually think Jaden Greathouse is pretty good at that. Like he's a very under, uh, appreciated after the catch guy. And I would hope, I hope that Mike Denbrock does more to get Jaden the ball in those situations yeah. this year, which they couldn't really do as a boundary guy when they had to put him over there. But he's a guy that I think when you look at what Jaden did as a fresh, as a freshman before they moved into the boundary, he was, he was a guy that knew how to get open and then he could catch and keep going and find that space. And he could make guys miss. We didn't see him get a chance to make guys miss, but you go watch him in high school. Kid had four punt returns for touchdowns. against really good competition as a senior in high school. Yeah. Right. And and so that's what they're at. It's Logan Saldate has some of that to his game. Cam Williams has some after the catch ability. Cam's not a shaky make you miss guy, but he's a sudden guy that if he cuts and you don't get a clean shot on him, you're not catching him until he slows down three yards into the end zone. Right. That's yeah. the, the best chance you have of getting him. And they need so much more of that. And and so that's where some of the the um of what I really like about Elijah Burris is because I do think he adds both. And for way too long, and we've talked about this a bunch of times, <laughs> Notre Dame was adding too many guys that were before and up to the catch point impact players. Yes. Which is great. You need those. But not enough guys that were after the catch. That's what made Michael Floyd so good. Because Michael Floyd was great up to the catch point. But Michael Floyd had that weird gallop. He could do stuff after the catch. Gold Tate was great after the catch. Right? Will Fuller was... Good after the catch in 2014. They didn't do as much with him in 15. He was just because he just was running by everybody. There wasn't a need to run a bunch of screens with him like he did in 2014 because nobody could stop him from just running by you. Right. So I, and, and you had a different quarterback in 2015 than you had in 2014. Where in 2014, yeah. Everett was about, you know, get the ball out quickly, being accurate. Where in 2015, it was you had Malik and then Deshaun, who were big armed, vertical throw the ball downfield guys they weren't going to be throwing 40 passes a game like ev did in 2014 that's the reason you saw the difference but will could do that in a similar fashion that i think cam williams could do that which is catch make one guy miss and then just be fashionable because we remember all the verticals that will caught in 2015 but remember he had the screen touchdown against lsu Mm -hmm. he had the screen touchdown where he caught it to the left and then cut all the way back against syracuse and scored out the back door do you remember that yeah. That game where Ev completed like 20-some balls in a row. He had a screen touchdown against Northwestern. So they did a lot more of that in 2014 with, with Will. And I think that Cam Williams can be that kind of player. And it, it, because Cam has that true home run speed that Elijah doesn't have. I think Elijah's faster than some people think. But Elijah's not Cam Williams fast. He's not Will Fuller fast. 
I think his game is a lot like Chris Mitchell. Somebody said he's not as fast as Chris Mitchell. He's not as what fast as what Chris Mitchell is right now because Chris Mitchell's a fifth-year senior and, and Elijah's a junior in high school. I think he will be when it's all said and done. And if I'm right on that and he does take that speed jump sophomore, junior year perhaps in college, that's going to make him even more dynamic. And now he could maybe become like a true number one at that Z, whereas right now he's more of that route runner, after the catch, complimentary player to Cam, to Micah, to Jaden, and guys like that. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. And that's kind of the question I have, Sean, is unless they're able to land like Taylor Taylor, mm. I don't know that there's right now that number one dude in this class because I think Derek Meadows is going to be more of a, you know, 40 catch at best, 40 catch, 800 yard guy as opposed to a 70 catch every down volume guy. Now that's good. He's more Alvin Harper for the Cowboys. Not a number one, right. not a go-to, right? Just, He's a freak, right? Yes, yes. I just want Mike, literally, Mike Denbrock just had one of those dudes. Had a couple, yeah. yeah Brian the Thomas, Thomas Brian Thomas, yeah. yeah. So He's not as thick as Brian Thomas is. That's a good call. Like, yeah. and, and he's not, he, he doesn't have the volume game right now that Brian Thomas had. But, but. To, to, so I'm trying to think of like some comparisons. Like he's just not a volume guy. He's going to be, he's not a number one, go out there. We need you to catch nine balls guy. He's a guy that's going to catch the ball three or four times for a hundred yards. Right. And so who is that number one in this class? I don't know that there is that unless they're able to land a Taylor Taylor or, you know, a guy like that. I, I don't, they're just, that's my concern is there's not a lot of those guys on the board, you know, Raiden vines bright. I, I don't know that he's that. You know, I don't know that Lex Cyrus is that, although I love the skill set that Lex Cyrus brings to the table. Give me him in a heartbeat. And the speed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so to me, unless Elijah Burris becomes that, and I actually think he has a chance to be that, he's just not there yet. That's one of my concerns with the the current board is if, if they don't hit on a couple guys, then, then it's going to be a bunch of really nice complimentary pieces. But at the end of the day, Sean, that's not necessarily bad. You always want to land a dude every year. But that's not necessarily bad because you just landed a couple dudes in back-to-back classes in Jaden Greathouse and then Cam Williams. And we've already seen, you know, Jordan Faison step up as kind of a, an impact guy. And I think Micah, Micah Gilbert can bring some of that to the table. So I, I kind of understand the strategy, Sean. And, and, and if you take out any context, I don't know that I love it. But in context of where they are and the specific skill sets that they are targeting, I actually get it. Right. I, I do. I just I don't know that I would do it the same way. I would I would have a little bit more of a broad board for some of the top level guys. I wouldn't push as quickly, maybe for a, for a couple guys. But I understand what they're trying to do. And if they can hit the inside straight, you know, which means, you know, get a Derek Meadows, get a Jerome Bettis Jr. Different stop story for a different day. Just that's just the where it's going. Now you've got to give me a a, a Taylor Taylor, maybe a Lex Cyrus as that that final piece. Yeah, that 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 to me is that's going to ultimately determine how how smart this strategy is. Because I totally get Derek Meadows, totally get Elijah Burris, even understand Jerome Bettis Jr. Even though I don't necessarily agree with it, I get it. 
So this class is ultimately going to be defined by what's that number four guy. Not number four in the the order of the fourth best player, but I'm more timing. Who's that final piece of the puzzle? That ultimately is going to tell us if this is a high ceiling but risky class or just a really good freaking class. Yeah. Because if you add a Taylor Taylor to the mix, now all of a sudden I'm like, all right, cool. It's a heck of a receiver class. Mm-hmm. Three years in a row, great receiver class. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how that part of it plays out. And it's it's funny because it plays into, you know, the chat, great as always. And I'll drop this tidbit because, you know, you know I just spoke with Deuce Knight recently and I flat out asked him. I said, yo, with all of these new offers, have you been checking out film? And he said, I've checked out a couple of them. But he said, honestly, I believe in the talent evaluators on the coaching staff. Oh, his exact words. He believes in the talent evaluators on the coaching staff. And he said, one of the reasons I do that is because I went to LSU when Mike Denbrock was there on a visit and had a conversation with him and listening to him talk to me about the quarterback and the wide receiver position. He said, I told the coaches, man, let Denbrock talk mm-hmm. to the receivers. Let let him talk to some of these receivers when they come in for visits because I've I've heard the pitch myself when I went to LSU. And that's that's the quarterback in the 25 class. So when people talking about this is what they're giving him, he's good with it. Yes. Because he trusts the coaches. Right. Well, the person saying that's a is a star rankings obsessor. So it, no, it doesn't I mean, matter. Just in general. No, I'm just it, it just it doesn't it matter. Today. Yeah, they're just gonna look and see it and no oh, star this and star that. Like, yeah, Deuce Knight's gonna be like, they just landed Plexico Burris's kid. All right, cool, sign me up. You know what I mean? And then the staff's gonna tell him what this kid is made of. Oh shoot, why are they gonna give him a six foot six guy that runs a four five flat as a sophomore junior in high school and can jump 40 inches? I mean, oh shoot, that's terrible. You know what I mean? Like, there's nobody on social media pushing harder to land Jerome Bettis Jr. than Deuce Knight. I mean, that, you know what I mean? So, and to your point about Denbrock, I mean, go again, go look at what th- this is what's frustrating, Sean, with, with some of the conversation is, is we have to be able to look at it and say, you, Mike Denbrock is not Dell Alexander or, or Chancey Stuckey. Mike Brown is not Dell Alexander or Chancey Stuckey. You don't you don't say, well, I don't trust this pickup because of what Chancey Stuckey did or did not do with these types of players or what Dell Alexander did or did not do with these types of players. Right. You evaluate them off what they they have done at their different stops. And when you look at what Mike Denbrock did as a recruiter and developer at Notre Dame of receivers, that was the last time Notre Dame really had any stretch of really good receiving receiver recruiting in in back to back. I mean, think about it. In in a three in a four year stretch, Mike Denbrock was the receivers coach for a team that landed Will Fuller, Corey Robinson, Corey um, Torrey Hunter Jr., Equinemy St. Brown, Miles Boykin, C.J. Sanders, Jalen Guyton, uh, Chase Claypool, Javon McKinley, and Kevin Stefferson. Like it's pretty flipping good, you know. And then what Mike Brown did with developing nothing but three stars into all drafted in the first three rounds of the draft with his receiving core Cincinnati. Right. And so, and a guy that led them in receiving and catches and yards against Bama and George is a guy that Mike Denbrock initially recruited to Notre Dame and Michael Young. Right. And so, and to your point, I mean, Oh, you need the five stars like Jamar chase. All right, cool. I'll see your Jamar chase and I'll raise you a Justin Jefferson who didn't even rank in the top 2000 coming out of high school. You know, and so it's like, look, what you need is talent. Stop assuming that talent is determined only by star rankings. You can give me the percentage of this, that, and the other thing. It's like, okay, there's going to be a higher percentage of four stars that, you know, five stars that get drafted than three stars. Yeah, because there's a thousand times more three stars and they're not good. There's a lot of good three stars. But still, and I pointed this out today, of the wide receivers in the 16 to 19 classes, Sean, 30, it's about 33% of the top 100 receivers from 16, 17, 18, 19 classes, 33% got drafted. That's it. Only eight of them, and it's 69 players, only eight of them got picked in the first round. That means 61 did not get picked in the first round. Only 16 of the 61 
of 69, excuse me, got drafted in the first two rounds, and only 23 of the 69 got drafted at all. Now, the caveat is 10 of them are still in college, and some of them are going to be sixth-year seniors next year. You don't have a lot of six-year wide receivers getting drafted in the first two rounds. Let's be honest about that, okay? So you're going to maybe a couple of those guys get drafted, but the number's still going to be in the 30s. 30% of the top 100 player, top receivers who were top 100 players in the 16 to 19 classes were drafted. Less than 50% of every class, the top 100 receivers got drafted. I'm not talking more first-round picks. Didn't get drafted, period. And the number of Justin Rosses that would have been drafted high, if not for injuries, is small. It doesn't move the needle or change the numbers a lot. So the point is the recruiting services miss plenty. The fact is you need talent. You need five-star players, whether they're Michael Floyd five-star recruits or Joe Walt three-star recruits. Benjamin Morrison, three-star recruit, and he was when he committed Notre Dame, a three-star, or Christian Gray, top 100. Don't care how you get it. You need impact players. Who was Notre Dame's best defensive player last year, Sean? I mean, objectively, Cam Hart was one of the best. You said offense? Did you say offense? Defense. Defense. Okay. Name me the top three players for – name me the top two players for Notre Dame – top three players on Notre Dame for defense last year. I think they're all – Xavier Watts, Cam Hart, and Benjamin Morrison. Okay. Not one of them were ranked as top 300 players coming out of high school. Notre Dame had arguably the best secondary in college football last year. Now, if you're going to say who's the fourth, you're probably talking about Howard Cross. Nobody had him in the top 200. Rivals had him as a four-star. Yeah. He wasn't ranked very high. Xavier Watts was a consensus three-star. Benjamin Morrison was a four-star. But eventually became a four. He was a three star when he got when he committed Notre Dame. Eventually yeah. drove rose up to four star. Nobody had him in the top three hundred. Nobody. Cam Hart was a three hundred. Uh, the three star play was ranked in the six hundreds. Yeah. Right. And and so and Notre Dame had a elite defense last season. You could argue maybe it wasn't elite. It was outstanding. One of the five to eight best defenses in college football last year. And the, and they they had without a doubt a top two to three secondary. And their best players and and throughout the entire thing were three-star players. They were five-star. Xavier Watts is a five-star college football player. Oh, absolutely. Benjamin Morrison is a five-star college football You need those. It, it, I, but I don't care if they come to Notre Dame as five stars. The, the difference is, Sean, and here's another statistic. Of the top 100 players that got drafted, I believe over half of them were yeah. top 50 recruits. So the top 50 guys hit at an even higher rate, and here's why. Those are the obvious ones. Right. Those are the ones you don't actually you don't have to have any you don't have really to be an evaluator to, to say to look at Jeremiah Smith and say he's really good. You don't. You don't have to be a great evaluator to look at Jamar Chase and say he's really good. You do have to be a good evaluator to look at Justin Jefferson and say he's really good. Right? And and, and that's the that's kind of the, the point that I'm getting to. I mean, look, Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, he's one of the generational player. And that's a debate for – that's a conversation for another day. I don't think that he is because I think that term is used way too loosely. But, Sean, only one recruiting service even had him in the top 80. 247 had him as the number 159 player. Only one recruiting service on three. And here's why I think on three is full of it because this was a retroactive ranking. Mm-hmm. Just like they retroactively, you know, well, we're starting now, so we're going to rank last year's class that included Joe Alt and Marvin Harrison after they'd been freshman All-Americans, basically. And then, oh, yeah, we, we thought he was a good player. No, you didn't. Shut yeah, up. Didn't. You know, but but Marvin Harrison Jr. was was ranked by 247 Sports as the number 21 receiver in the country. Number seven player in Pennsylvania, the number 159 overall player in the country. ESPN had an 82nd. Rivals had him 86. Of the services that recruited him as a high school player, on three was the outlier because they didn't evaluate him until he was already in college. And then they said, no, 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 we're, we only evaluate. No, you didn't. Stop. Stop. Because even if you try to do that, you can't. You can't dis you can't disassociate what you saw from him as a freshman at Ohio State onto that. Right. And so again, great player, not a very highly ranked recruit. What right? And and so to me, that's the thing that you got to look at and say, you need great players, however they come. And what Notre Dame is gonna have to do and what they're doing, what they've done for a while. And by the way, ESPN had Malik Neighbors as a three-star. Rivals had him as a four-star, unranked player, number 50 receiver in the country. The highest ranking he had by a service that was actually 
doing it that time was 247 had him ranked number 149 overall. He's about to be a top 10 NFL draft pick. So there's about two receivers are about to go in the top 10 in the NFL draft. And most of them were not considered like elite receivers, top hundred, top one fifty. Hmm. That's what they were, but they were not considered Julio Jones coming out of high school. They were not considered Jerry Judy coming out of high school, right? You need to find talent, and sometimes talent is obvious. Jeremiah Smith is obvious. I, my mother, my my grandmother. I mean, who who only watched football on Saturdays and Sundays could watch Jeremiah Smith and be like, that guy's pretty good. Yeah. Right. You don't have to be a paid evaluator to look at look at him and say he's pretty good. You don't have to be a paid evaluator to look at Trevor Lawrence and say he's pretty good. Got to be a pretty good evaluator to look at Joe Burrow and say he's pretty good coming out of high school. That's the difference. And, and also, so, go ahead. Who Sean. was it? Who was it? Uh, is that Home Depot? Like who? Who's the brand that says you got questions, we got answers? I, I think that's Home Depot. Is that Home Depot? That's Marcus Freeman. See, ladies and gentlemen, we stop. When Marcus Freeman got here, did he upgrade the talent? Did he honestly say there's a talent, length, athleticism problem in linebacker and immediately upgrade? Did he do that immediately? He recognized the talent discrepancy at the linebacker position and upgrade. And we sit here and look at the linebacker room now for where it was before he got here as defensive coordinator, and we say, yo, we had questions. He has answers. Did he not look at the quarterback room? Yeah. At the end of a season, and say, "Yo, we got questions, but you know what? We got right. answers. This is how I'm about to answer." Did he not look at other areas? Like, yo, right. Mike Mickens, defensive back room. Man, was a how many years did we worry about defensive back recruiting in Notre Dame? I'll and say, I'm, could be. I'm 45. Lou Holtz stopped coaching in '96. So basically, from the minute Mike Mickens was hired mm-hmm. to the end of the Lou Holtz era, is about yeah. how long I worried about secondary yeah. recruiting. Yeah. So they had we had questions. This staff had answers, right? Yeah. There's still some other areas. Maybe you can say safety, but I mean that's definitely that one. Yeah. Yeah. But it's from a coaching standpoint and development. You just had a safety win the Bronco yeah. Nagurski Award, right? And right. you had and you had you had an All American safety in 2021 uh-huh. and a first round draft pick at safety in back in 2011 after the 20. Here's the thing, Sean. Too is you 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 can address. That's why they're focusing so much on the safety class in 2025. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. What what I what I think we need to to, to be able to have. Here's the conversation we need to be allowed to have about the 2025 receiving class. Is it the right strategy? to focus on the high ceiling but maybe lower floor guys or should you be focusing on more higher floor guys that is a legitimate conversation to have with Notre Dame fans completely completely legitimate to look at Jerome Bettis Jr. and Elijah Burris and Derek Meadows and have that takeaway totally valid Mm -hmm. what I pushed back on a little bit on the message board today and with some other people that I've talked to is they have this opinion that Notre Dame has just taken flyers or they're not willing to go after some top players. I'm like, you have to you have to look at this rationally. And and you're going to tell me that after landing Jaden Greathouse, Braylon James, Rico Flores, KK Smith in 2023, and then Cam Williams, Micah Gilbert and Logan Saldate in 2024, several of those were highly regarded players they had to battle top teams for that they just decided we don't want to do that anymore. We're just going to take low-hanging fruit in 2025. That does, like just rationally, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. So my thing is, first, before you start complaining about the offer lists or the or the rival the star rankings, which are fair conversations to have for people that aren't like talent evaluators. There, there's fans in our chat that I that that I respect a great deal because they'll tell you, I don't watch film. I I don't. I don't I don't know how to I don't know how to pull up film and evaluate Elijah Burris the way Notre Dame and, and and that's totally fair. So that's why I and they'll say that's why I look at star rankings and offer sheets. And those are very fair things to look at. Offer sheets are a good thing to look at. I've used Benjamin Morrison being, you know, beating Nick Saban and Jimmy Lake for him as evidence for what I like about him, right? So those are fair things to look at. But what we need to be able to do is to say this isn't about what you're saying it is which is low-hanging fruit, you know, taking the easy road, taking flyers. It's not that, right? It doesn't mean it's right, but it's not that. We need to be able to say, hey, 
their focus is on number one, specific skill sets that they feel they need to add to the roster and they Mm -hmm. feel these kids have them. And number two, this is a staff that looks at the last two years and says, we did a really good job landing some high floor guys. There's a lot of kids we like in this class that maybe don't have the same floors, but we think have really high ceilings. Now there's some risk involved, but because of how well we did in the previous two classes and in the portal, we're willing to take this chance. So to me, it is to me, it's it's and and like we even see it right now with Brandon. He says Notre Dame is known for uh, settling for easier recruitments instead of playing the process out uh, in the last twenty years. Again, Brian Kelly's not here anymore, so that's an irrelevant thing to say. Mike Dent, like uh, Dell Alexander's not here anymore, right? Rob Ionello's not here anymore. Chancey Stuckey's not here anymore. This staff does not have that track record. The one thing oh, just two days ago everybody was praising Marcus Freeman for was their willingness to go toe-to-toe with anybody for any recruit. So we're now to believe that they're not doing that at receiver just because they don't want to. Or maybe they see something that they think others are missing out on. They may be wrong. This isn't defending the staff's correctness just because I agree with it in this instance because I don't agree with it with Jerome Bettis Jr. And I don't necessarily agree with it with with Derek Meadows, to be completely honest with you, because I have some concerns. Like, can he be a football player? Is he always just going to be a track guy with great tools but does not play football? You know, But there's a reason that Bama and Georgia and Florida and everybody's offered him since the summer camps, right? There's a reason for that because he's 6'6 and runs a 4'5". The point, however, is we can argue the strategy, right? We can argue the strategy, but there's too many people that obsess over, and and we're seeing in the chat, you have to get a a certain ranked player in every spot. That's not how recruiting is done. You know, so somebody pointed to to Joseph Reef and Dominic Hulak. Again, you're assuming that they settled. This staff loves Joseph Reef as a player. They don't care what his ranking is. They see a kid that they think is a very talented player. Dominic Hulak, Sean, is a niche player. They're recruiting for a certain role. They're not recruiting him to come in and play Mike Linebacker for four years. That's the thing is we if we're going to be critical of the of the recruiting results, which is totally fair, you have to at least be willing to engage on a realistic evaluation of what their goals are. And you could say Dom, you know, Joseph Reef and Dom Hulak. Bama and Georgia and Ohio State sign guys like that every year. Every year. Because if every kid you recruit is a top 100 player, guess what? You're going to lose half your class every single year. Because when those top 100 kids aren't playing as rookies or near two, guess what they're going to do now? They're out. Got to build a roster, Sean. And that's the thing to have to – and sometimes your strategy from year to year is going to adjust based on your current needs – and what you've done in previous classes. Again, it doesn't mean that they're right. There are things about their receiver board right now that I don't agree with, but I can at least acknowledge I understand why they're doing it. There are things on the defensive side of the ball I don't necessarily agree. I personally would not have taken Dom Hulak. I wouldn't have. But I'm not criticizing them for it because there's nobody else on their board that plays the position they're recruiting him to play. You know what I mean? And so that's the thing you have to look at is if you're going to be critical of it, you at least need to be willing to, to Sean, you and I have political talks in our private life, right? right? Right. And the one thing that you and I have always said, the problem with why you can't have political conversation anymore is because people aren't even willing to accept the terms of the discussion. Because they're too busy trying to defend what right. they believe. Right. And that's kind of what's going on here is there's, there's people in the chat. I'm not talking about you, Brandon, that literally will not at all listen to any reason about Elijah Burris because of where he's ranked or what his offer list is. And that's the end of the conversation. It's like, that's just, we, we can't, we can't talk now. And that's my thing is we can be critical of it. And, and there are things I don't agree with of what they're doing. No staff is infallible. None. Mike Denbrock's not infallible. Marcus Freeman's not infallible. I'm not infallible. Sean's not infallible. Right. As far as I know, there's only been one infallible human being to walk this earth and he hadn't been around in a couple thousand years. No, you know what I'm hasn't. saying? So at least not bodily form. Um, but the, the point is, Sean, is we at least need to be able to have a conversation about 
the proper evaluation of what the strategy is and then being critical of that. That's where I think we're missing the boat a little bit in this receiver conversation in some in some areas, right? As you you can be if as long as you can accept the proper terms of the discussion, we can then agree to disagree or have a back and forth and that kind of thing. That's fair. You want to argue the merits of Elijah Burris as a player? That's fair. But you have to understand why they're going after him. And you can't say things like, well, this is easy or they're just settling. That's not it. See, you can, not you, it. can you can argue the merits and the rankings, but make sure you acknowledge the film. See, that's the issue. If you want to use the rankings to say, uh, I don't know, you're not going to get that feeling if you watch the film. And for those of you that aren't able to watch the film, then you have to depend on those that are able to convey what the film is telling you about the young man and then weigh it. The point I was simply trying to make is that the talent on this roster is vastly different and improved. And if you have a head coach that has shown the willingness to admit where the weaknesses are at every position where the weaknesses are and do everything within his power to not only solve it, but to strengthen it to a level where they can win a national championship, which you have to let it play out to see if they can coach it to that point. But talent won't be the issue in 2024. That won't be the issue. You can't sit there and say this Notre Dame team is not talented enough to make the college football playoff. That's not true. You can't sit here and say they don't have enough five stars to get to the semifinals in the college football playoff. That's not true. Are their players going to make plays in the biggest moments? And are their coaches going to do the best job to get them to that level? That's what it comes down to. Plain and simple. Because the talent on the roster is vastly improved from what it was when Marcus Freeman took over. Hey, That's undeniable. Hey, Sean, I'm, I'm old and I forget things. Who won the national championship this year? Uh, a team that had less talent according to the recruiting rankings, then Notre Dame. Who was it? Um, Michigan. Michigan. Who was their leading receiver? Who was their best receiver this year? Well, it was uh, – was it Roman Ro- Wilson? Roman Wilson. Yeah, who wasn't used that much, and he's in the senior bowl, like, ripping it up all last week. Well, Roman Wilson was ranked as the number 38, 54, and 76 wide receiver in the country coming out of high school. Right? I mean, again, you don't need – now, Ohio State – who had nothing but five stars running all over the field. Mm-hmm. Arvin Harrison Jr. is going to end his career with 0-3 against Michigan. Yeah. Emeka yeah. Buka may, may at best, Emeka is going to go 1-4, and 1-3 against Ohio State. C.J. Stroud just won defense, offensive rookie of the year last mm-hmm. year. What's his record against Ohio, against Michigan? 0-2. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so, so you can give me all the five stars you want. Like, I'm trying to build a team here. And you know the craziest thing, Brian? This is the craziest thing. Ohio State spent a lot of money to try and ensure their success. Guess what? Go look at the returning players for that Michigan defense and tell me how Ohio State's going to score. Yeah. Well, that's going to come up. <laughs> yeah, they returned the number one cornerback. They returned two safeties. From a national championship secondary. They returned the two inside guys that were beasts that are going to be possibly first two round picks. And they have linebackers that are better than the linebackers that are going to the NFL in the second round. Mm-hmm. Like Michigan isn't about to just wilt at Ohio State because they went and spent $15 million and got Chip Kelly as an OC and this guy and this defense. No, they're going to have to show up and beat Michigan. Right. They're going to Michigan is going to line up and punch you in the mouth, run the ball and shut you down defensively. Yeah. And they're doing it with recruiting classes that are not top 10 recruiting classes. Right. I wonder why. They must have some pretty good talent about talent well, evaluators. And that's the thing. They have ta- good talent evaluators and good talent developers. And that's the thing. Now, now this staff has to prove that they can develop it. And to a degree, they still have to prove that they can evaluate it. Mm-hmm. Because it, and and you know what, Sean? Let's hold off on that till section three of the show. Let's let's move to that. Let's wrap this section up and move to that because that kind of ties into expectations for Notre Dame this year. 
mm-hmm. in that conversation. So that's a really good segue. So why don't you go ahead and um, uh, wrap up this section, Sean, and then we'll we'll take it into the to the next one. Well, that's the end of the team segment right here on Irish Breakdown. Don't forget, go to YouTube, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, and make sure you share and let everybody know for all great recruiting intel and just great conversations between Notre Dame fans. Make sure you go sign up for boards. The message board at boardsirisbreakdown.com as well. Now we're getting ready to go into the college football part of the show. 